On Friday, June 9th, 2017, 26-year-old Yingying Zhang was working in the lab with her colleagues at the Department of Natural Resources and Environmental Sciences within the College of Agriculture, Consumer, and Environmental Sciences at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. They had finished their fieldwork studying photosynthesis and crop productivity and they were packing up some damaged equipment to send out for repair. At about noon, Ying Ying said that she had to meet a property manager to sign a lease on a new apartment and said she would be back. The hours passed, but Ying Ying never returned to the lab. Her colleagues grew worried and called her cell phone but got no answer. Finally, they left the lab and went to her apartment, thinking that maybe she had gotten sick. They knocked on the door, but nobody answered there either. Ying Ying was not the type of person to just blow off her responsibilities and had only been in the country for about six weeks, so she didn't really know many people. Her colleagues thought that her disappearance was suspicious enough that they went to the University of Illinois Police Department and reported her missing. Officers made entry into her apartment to make sure she hadn't suffered an accident inside, but the residence was empty. They checked a handful of other places that the young woman was known to frequent, but they didn't find her. It seemed that Ying Yang had just vanished. This is Monsters. Yingying Zhang was born on December 21, 1990, in Nanping, Fujian Province, China. She completed her master's degree in environmental engineering at Peking University and did some work as a research assistant at the Chinese Academy of Sciences in Beijing. Yingying had a full life in China. She had a fiancé who she had met years before at university, and she was the singer in a band called Cute Horses. Despite that, she left home and went to the United States as a visiting scholar at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. She arrived in Illinois in April of 2017 and planned to enroll in a PhD program that fall. She had her own apartment nearby and it was the first time she had lived on her own. The day after she was reported missing, officers learned that she was supposed to meet the property manager at a new apartment. When they questioned him, he said that he had received a few text messages from her when she was on her way, with the last one saying she would be there at about 2.10pm. When she hadn't shown up after 2.30, the manager texted her to see if she was still coming but got no reply. Investigators made an emergency cell record request to see if her phone was pinging anywhere but they didn't find anything. They also started looking at surveillance from the more than 2,000 surveillance cameras around the university. Investigators found footage of Ying Ying getting on one bus on her way to the new apartment. In the video, she can be seen sitting down and then sending a text message. That message matched the time that the property manager had gotten one of the text messages from her letting him know that she was on her way. When she got off of that bus, she needed to transfer onto another bus, but she missed it. 
she could be seen on the bus's surveillance camera trying to flag the driver down. But she was on the wrong side of the street, and the bus company's policy forbade them from stopping for people on the other side of the road, because that would encourage people to cross where it wasn't safe. Once the bus left, it was unknown where Yingying went next. On Sunday the 11th, an officer found footage of Yingying standing on the corner waiting for the next bus after the one she had missed. Yingying was known to be very responsible, and she didn't like to be late to anything. This is why, when a man in a black car approached her and asked her if she needed a ride, she accepted. She can be seen on this surveillance camera having a one-minute conversation with the driver through the passenger window before getting into the car. Yingying's family said that she was normally a safe person and told other family members not to take rides from strangers, so they believed there must have been a reason she felt comfortable getting into the car. With clear evidence that Yingying had been picked up by someone, the case was now clearly an abduction and the authorities were able to call in the FBI. With the FBI on the case, they were able to gather a lot of footage of the black car driving around the area both before and after picking up Yingying. They were able to determine that the car was a Saturn Astra, which was good because it was a fairly rare car. They were only sold in the United States in 2008 and 2009, and there were only 26 Astras in Champaign County, and only 18 of those were hatchback like on the video. FBI agents began interviewing all of the registered owners of the Saturn Astras in the area, one of whom was a man named Brent Christensen. Brent Christensen was born on June 30, 1989 in Wisconsin. He graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 2013 with a bachelor's degree in math and physics. Then he moved to the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign where he received a master's degree in physics. He had started pursuing a PhD, but he eventually changed his mind and was looking for employment in June of 2017. Brent had married Michelle Zortman in 2011, but due to difficulties in the relationship, by 2017 they had started having an open marriage. At the time of Ying Ying's disappearance, Michelle was out of town. She and her boyfriend had taken a trip to Wisconsin to visit old friends. Brent also had a girlfriend at the time, but on the Friday Ying Ying disappeared, he wasn't with her. When agents arrived at Brent's apartment, he told them that he didn't remember what he had done that day. He said that he was out of class and didn't have a job, so he said he probably played video games all day. He let them look around the apartment and in his car, and one of the agents noted that the Astra had a large sunroof. Otherwise, they didn't find anything incriminating, so they moved on. One FBI agent was back at the office reviewing surveillance footage when he saw that, on the front passenger wheel, there was a piece of rim missing. He also noted that the car had a large sunroof. Remembering that Brent's Astra had a large sunroof, the agents went back and took a look at the front passenger wheel. Sure enough, it had a chunk of rim broken off that was identical to the surveillance footage. Authorities learned that Ying Ying was not the first woman who encountered Brent on June 9th. At about 9 a.m. that day, Emily Hogan was walking to a bus stop. She said it was quiet out and there wasn't anyone else around. As she was walking, a car pulled up next to her, rolled down the passenger side window, and said something she couldn't really hear. 
Cautiously, she took a step closer to the vehicle, ensuring she still maintained a safe distance and asked him to repeat what he had said. The man, wearing dark aviator glasses and flashing a fake police badge, claimed that he was an undercover police officer in the area and he wanted to ask her some questions. She agreed and he told her to get in the car so they could talk. The request made her uncomfortable, so she bluntly said no. The man seemed surprised, but didn't push any further. He told her that if she saw anything suspicious, to tell the authorities and she said okay. He drove away and she continued to the bus stop, but she did follow the man's advice. Thinking that her interaction with him was suspicious, she called a non-emergency line for the University of Illinois Police and reported the incident. Then she posted about the experience on Facebook and encouraged her friends, quote, don't get in a car even if they say they're police or have a badge. Unfortunately, it was advice that wouldn't make it to Ying Ying. Officers looked around the area of the incident, but there wasn't much else they could do, so they filed the report away. When the FBI were searching for similar incidents in the area, they found the report and questioned Emily. When they discovered that Brent's car matched the one in the surveillance video, they went back and had her look at a photo lineup. She immediately picked out Brent. That was all the federal agents needed to bring the suspect in for questioning. When Brent was interviewed, it didn't go any differently than you would expect. Uh, so they came, they were just checking out all of the Saturn Astros in the area. Mm -hmm. I know it's a pretty rare car, so probably a short list. Um, yeah. He asked where my wife and I were during, I think it was two or three on Friday. And I mean, I graduated a couple weeks ago, so I'm looking for jobs right now. So, okay. I mean, I was either playing video games on my computer or taking an afternoon nap. So, I was unable to purchase an alloy. I looked into certain things to try and see if I could get some kind of info for an alibi. I sent some texts around that time, but none exactly between two and three. Mm -hmm. um, I let them come in the apartments. They searched for stuff. I let them come in the car. They searched for stuff there. Um, that was pretty much it. Okay. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Like every other suspect being questioned by authorities, Brent started out by denying any involvement. He wasn't in school and hadn't found a job yet, so he didn't have much to do during the day. He claimed that he usually spent the mornings applying for jobs and then he would spend the rest of the day playing video games or napping. He explained that he and his wife Michelle had two cars. There was a Camaro, which was primarily driven by him, and the Saturn Astra, which was primarily driven by Michelle, but he said he would take the Astra sometimes when he was running errands. Michelle was out of town with her boyfriend, so there was no way she could have driven the car, but that also meant he had no alibi. Like, someone sent me a text at like 1.30, I responded at like 3.45 or something okay. like that, so... Um, there are texts around it. Yeah, but not, maybe not. Not exactly between specific. two and three, and that's why I think I was probably lying down and sleeping, just because, like, you know, especially now, I'll typically do stuff in the morning, look for jobs, apply to a mm -hmm. few, and, like, 
I'd like to sleep, yeah. wake up, respond. It definitely fits. Okay. It seems like you were doing something else between 1.30 and 3.45, Brent, telling the agents that he not only had no alibi, but there was a gap in his cell phone activity at the exact same time that Yang Yang was abducted didn't help him at all. You can tell he's getting nervous about the focus being on him at this point. Why am I under suspicion? Is it just my car or is there anything else? Uh, I mean, that's, you know, a large portion. Uh, I mean, it is uh, a very unique car. Um, like I said, our search warrant is, uh, is just for the car. Yeah. So we can, be, yeah. you know, um, look into it. We can, of course, see what we can find. And, of course, you could also turn around and exonerate you completely. I mean, try to put a very rare car. Of course, agents knew that it was his car on the surveillance footage. The chances that someone else in the area had a Saturn Astra with an identical broken wheel rim were minuscule. The goal of the investigators is to keep the suspect comfortable so they'll be willing to talk more. Brent does continue to talk to the agents, but he keeps denying having ever gone anywhere that day. They finally show him stills of the surveillance footage showing his car picking up Yang Yang at the bus stop. Brent, I need, I need to know why she's getting into your car and I need to know where she went. If we can help her, we need it done now because we need, we need to move on from this. It, it's been like six days now. I don't understand. Sorry. And you've been at the U of I for how long? Three years. Three years. And that you know what we do. I work in the detectives bureau at the U of I and you know what we have access to. Cameras. Do you think that we're not going to track a vehicle all over campus? We control kiosks of bus stops. We can look in buses. We can look in every building out on the streets. And you're telling me that I didn't see you driving your car on Goodwin. That I didn't see you driving down Wright Street and turning on right in front of parking where everybody pays their tickets and driving down University to Goodwin and heading south. And then you see her standing on that corner in that shade tree, didn't you? That's where you first saw her. And then you turned, you turned on Clark and we still have cameras. I've seen the videos, but I didn't see me. You've seen what we've allowed you to see. Can I see this stuff that you're talking about? Do you think that we brought you up here to show you video? We want to we understand why you did it. It's crazy to me to think that anyone could believe they could drive all around a college town and not be picked up on surveillance cameras. In this day and age, most places in the U.S. have a lot of security cameras, but a college town like this will usually have a ton. It helps keep the students safe and relieves the school of liability. Because of that, authorities know exactly where he went, almost every turn he made and every street he drove on. They just didn't know where he ended up. Brent realized that the agents knew for a fact that it was his car on the videos. At that point, he attempted to do damage control. Maybe I'm getting my day's next step in. Okay. I thought I drove around on Saturday. I did pick a girl up. I don't remember where. Okay. 
I saw her picture. I don't think it was her, though. Do you remember the girl's name that you picked up? No, she was talking very broken English. Okay. Tell us about what happened. What time of day was that? Early afternoon. I don't really remember. Okay. I was just driving around. Um, I saw a girl, and she was very distressed. Okay. So I stopped my car and looked at her. Okay. I asked her if she needed help. I talked to her for a little bit. Not how much. I gave her a short ride to open locks. Okay. She freaked out and got out. Okay. That's all it was. Was this when you got on the north side of the railroad tracks on Goodwin? When you went across the university and you drove on north? I you was... let her out by the hospital or by the railroad tracks? Or where did you let her out at? Remember specifics. Um, was it close to where you picked her up? Yeah, it was relatively close. It was in a residential area. Okay. So I've never really been over there before. No reason to. Okay. So the FBI is questioning you about a missing Asian woman who they're claiming you picked up in your car, and you're like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Oh, you mean the Asian woman I picked up on Saturday? Oh, crap, that was Friday? Get the fuck out of here. The agents also weren't buying his bullshit. You were definitely driving all over campus, and you were by yourself, and you weren't playing video games all day. So why would you tell us that? Why would you tell the FBI that comes to your house that you were Saturday? I don't mess up the days. I mean, I thought I was doing it Saturday. So what did you think that those two agents were at your house talking to you about when they came over Friday? That's why. I mean, Friday is a day, or Friday, or they are there to ask you if you picked up an Asian female and gave her a ride. About Friday. I mean, they were asking me about Friday between two and three, so I told them. I mean, maybe I got my days mixed up. I said a little bit ago. I thought I was doing this Saturday. But you didn't bother to tell them. Oh, I didn't. I played video games all day Friday, uh, detective, but I actually did pick up a female on Saturday. You, you didn't feel the need to give them that information? And it might be important? Authorities are looking for an Asian woman who went missing on Friday and think you picked her up. But since they only asked about Friday, you didn't think it was important to tell them about the Asian woman you picked up on Saturday? Nobody is that stupid. According to Brent, he was driving down the road when he saw Ying Yang at the bus stop and she looked distraught. He pulled over and asked if she needed a ride and she happily accepted. He said he had a hard time understanding her broken English, so she used a map on her phone to show him where she needed to go. He claimed that she told him that she had a meeting with a professor, which we know isn't true. She was going to sign a lease on a new apartment. Brent said he must have taken a wrong turn, at which point Ying Ying freaked out and asked to get out of the car. He pulled over and she got out. He was in a neighborhood that he wasn't familiar with, but he never saw her again. No matter what the agents told Brent, he refused to say anything else and they let him go. They had enough to arrest him, but they believed that letting him go and keeping an eye on him would give them a chance that he could slip up and lead them to Ying Ying, or at least to more evidence. Not only did Michelle have a boyfriend, but Brent also had a girlfriend named Tara Bolas. Eventually, she became suspicious of Brent and she agreed to record a conversation between him and herself. That opportunity happened at 6.46pm on June 29, 2017. 
On that day, there was a benefit concert in March to raise awareness about Ying Ying's case. Brent had called Tara and told her that he wanted to go, so she put on the recorder and went with him to the event. While there, Brent used it as an opportunity to brag to Tara about what he had done. He started out by saying multiple times that the people at the benefit were for him. In his sick mind, people were gathered together because of what he had done, so they were there for him. Tara did a good job of using Brent's ego against him, pulling out more details by making him feel like she was impressed. He started to tell her how Ying Ying fought hard. He told her that he had quote-unquote sexy time with her, but that he hadn't orgasmed. He talked about how he cut off her clothes, interrupting at times to talk about getting something to eat. Because nothing works up an appetite like telling your girlfriend about how you abducted, sexually assaulted, and killed a young woman. He told Tara that he choked Yang Yang for 10 minutes, but she was still breathing, so he carried her into the bathroom, put her in the bathtub, and hit her on the head as hard as he could with a baseball bat. He said that split her head open. Even then, he wasn't sure if she was dead, so he stabbed her in the neck and she grabbed for the knife, but finally died. After that, he cut off her head and dismembered her body. Brent went on to claim that he had killed 12 other people and claimed that he was the most dangerous person around. He said that the last person that was on his level was Ted Bundy. He said that he was the most successful killer in the last 30 years. He really went on a massive campaign to pat himself on the back for being such a successful serial killer, while his girlfriend was secretly recording him for the FBI. Right, a real genius. When agents heard the recording, they immediately arrested Brent and charged him with federal kidnapping resulting in death. He refused to talk to anyone when he was arrested. Agents went to work trying to verify any other cases that could have been caused by Brent, but they couldn't identify any. They believed that Brent was lying in order to boost his own ego and win more adoration from Tara. Investigators learned that Brent had gone to a counselor at the university to talk about his homicidal desires. It turned out that he spoke with a counselor multiple times, detailing having plans to commit murder, but never having chosen a victim or followed anybody. This was another reason authorities didn't believe Brent had killed anyone else prior to Ying Ying's murder. It turned out that counselors talked to the troubled young man, but never took any action regarding his claims. Michelle gave consent to search their apartment and agents took computers and electronics. They also collected a baseball bat from the unit. They swabbed multiple surfaces in the bathroom as well as a red stain on the mattress. Michelle said that Brent told her he got a nosebleed while sleeping, but the blood came back a match for Ying Ying's DNA, as did swabs from the bathroom. On the computer, they found a search history of violent sexual acts. Cell phone records showed that Brent had used a fetish website called FetLife to visit a forum called Abduction 101, with specific threads titled Perfect Abduction Fantasy and Planning a Kidnapping. Michelle would go on to testify that she believed that Brent was a psychopath and that she had seen him clean out their Saturn Astra twice in a short period of time after Ying Ying had gone missing. Part of the judge's decision to hold Brent without bail was due to him pointing out people at the benefit march that he claimed were quote-unquote ideal victims. On the recording, he also admitted that both Tara and Michelle would be in danger if they gave authorities information about him. 
The prosecutor argued that there were no combination of conditions where Brent Christensen was not a danger to the community. Brent pleaded not guilty to the charges, which would make his defense extremely confusing. During opening statements, the defense stood up and admitted that Brent had in fact killed Yingying. Ying. The only thing the defense was arguing at trial was that Brent didn't deserve the death penalty. Under federal law, any kidnapping charge that ends in a death is eligible for the death penalty. At trial, the prosecutor presented evidence that Yingying Ying had left the university on June 9th at about noon. From there, she went to her apartment and had some lunch before catching the bus to her new apartment. After missing her transfer bus, she was approached by Brent who showed her a fake police badge and claimed he was an undercover officer. That was what led to Ying Ying letting her guard down and getting into the car. From there, Brent took her back to his apartment where he sexually assaulted her, tortured her, and murdered her a crime that the prosecutor believed was worthy of execution. On June 24, 2019, the jury deliberated for less than two hours before finding Brent guilty of all charges. At sentencing, they were not able to come to a unanimous decision about the death penalty and Brent Christensen was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. After the trial, his defense lawyer released information that had been given to him by Brent. He claimed that Brent told him that he put Ying Ying's dismembered remains in three garbage bags and put them in the dumpster at his apartment complex. He then spent the next three days putting her belongings in various dumpsters around the area. The dumpster at his complex was emptied three days later and taken to a private landfill near Danville, Illinois. The contents were compacted and then spread out in a landfill. Since then, they had been covered by more garbage at least 30 feet deep. Authorities said it would be unlikely that her remains were ever found. Ying Ying's father, fiancé, and sister came to Illinois to search for her on June 17th. Unfortunately, her mother was too sick to travel at the time, but she was able to come and meet the family on August 19th. The family said that sometimes they would sit outside of Ying Ying's apartment all night in the hopes that she would come home. In the final entry of Ying Ying's journal, she wrote, quote, Life's too short to be ordinary. She worked hard to make her mark on the world and make that quote a reality. Unfortunately, Brent Christensen aspired to become a serial killer just like all the other serial killers before him. He thought he was something special, but he turned out to just be an ordinary monster. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org.
Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe.